You know, our DNA is how many seconds, how many minutes before we get back to somebody if we don't get right. a answer right there. The idea that somebody's never heard of you before, they have nothing vested, maybe some reviews, maybe they like your website, maybe it's a pretty picture, but that's all you got. So that if you don't connect with them right there and somehow make that relationship start, they're on to the next person. I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters Podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. This episode of Daily Matters is brought to you by the 2020 Clio Cloud Conference, the world's best legal conference, which is going completely virtual for the first time ever. Get your pass now at cliocloudconference.com. Today's guest is Seth Price, managing partner at Price Benowitz LLP, a Washington DC based law firm with offices in Maryland and Virginia. Seth is also the founder of Blue Shark Digital LLC, which helps law firms and businesses use search engine optimization or SEO and other marketing techniques to stand out online. Seth, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Jack. So Seth, starting off, uh, it must be a pretty crazy time in Washington. On top of COVID, there's uh, so much social unrest. There's a football team being renamed. There's a, a pretty important election coming up in just a few months. Can you give us some insight into what it's like to be in DC right now? Sure, I mean, you know, in DC, I live in the suburbs in a little bubble. Uh, you know, we've been virtual for quite a while. Blue Shark, 100% so. The law firm, a couple admins coming in to make sure uh, papers get processed, et cetera. But we've gone to pretty hardcore remote work with no real intention of going back in the near future. Uh, the moment we thought maybe there was a crack of going back, there was all of a sudden, um, you know, the, the protests. And two mm -hmm. things happened. Uh, one were the emotional swings of our of our staff and and clients, as well as COVID spikes based on that increased activity. And every time we think, hey, we think we see some light, uh, we think we're kidding ourselves. And our, our attitude has been, we've been successful enough working remotely that you know we'll we'll wait uh, for things to uh, you know at least flatten out before we're really thinking about doing anything in person. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the law practice to start maybe? How has COVID impacted your, your practice and, and your clients? So interested in, in hearing two things maybe. One, how did you pivot to a distributed remote work environment? You know, as you, you mentioned, feels like it's gone pretty smoothly and, and you're actually working pretty well. And then what's the on the ground impact been on your, your clients and how's it impacted the, the business side of your law firm? Right, so I'll take the positive, which is with, with Clio and many, many users on Clio, that made life particularly easy, right? I've pushed everything thanks to your inspiration into the cloud. I realized that our team technology-wise was, was not strong enough to be able to do this on their own. And all of our partners put our, put our um, technology in the cloud. So, you know, thank you. Um, the, you know, we, we live the emotional roller coaster and it really is an emotional and business roller coaster. Um, when the lockdowns happened, criminal defense, which is one of our main areas, you know, velocity of life stopped, arrest stopped, it was brutal. Um, we saw a continuation of a plaintiff's practice. We saw trust in a state skyrocket and immigration really have a very nice run during this period. 
Um, the one area that I think it's too early to tell is going to be uh, family law, where everybody says it's going to get a big bump. And with the exception of some, some uh, touch points out of Texas, we haven't seen that massive bump that everybody thought coming out of COVID. Maybe we're not there yet. Um, so from a business point of view, as the lockdowns here have uh, ameliorated, we've seen a return to normal, particularly in the Maryland and, uh, and Virginia suburbs. Mm -hmm. DC itself is still kind of a ghost town and is not business as usual, but the outlying areas probably reflect closer to the rest of the country. Um, there are still, the closer in suburbs are still pretty good about social distancing and mask wearing, but the courts are open and even criminal defense and that velocity of life has come back. Um, and I feel, you know, not only between our very practice groups in the DC Metro, but looking at Blue Shark clients around the country, we get a pretty good sense that for the most part, um, business is back, even if it is down slightly for some people, the PPP money and people sort of tightening their belts has meant either, you know, profitability staying relatively the same um, and that it's only a few very specific criminal only practices that were particularly hard hit, but that for the moment, we're seeing a lot of things really bounce back nicely. And are you seeing a backlog of demand starting to hit as, as well, Seth? Do you think we're, we're trending toward uh, a busyness level, demand level that's actually higher than, than pre-COVID-19 levels? Or do you think in some cases that, that business has just evaporated uh, and, and we'll, we'll never be able to get that lost well, opportunity back? From the law firm point of view, I think both sides. From the law firm point of view, the good news is people had time to do things. Um, yeah. And the question is, do they have the money to spend it on the non-contingency practices? Is there, you know, are we in a recession? Will it continue to, you know, will that head that depends on what happens in the election, et cetera. Uh, Blue Shark, we saw um, a couple people panic immediately. And then a few months in people sort of making some tweaks to their marketing needs. But we've also seen that people are sort of doubling down saying, hey, you know, I, I had cases coming to me through referrals. And my two cents is, we have seen the referral business thrown off the most. That hmm. the digital business has stayed steady, but that the referral, people who counted on referrals, the coffees, the lunches, that stuff stopped. And that, so that velocity, when that stops, people really didn't, you know, I think the people who had a referral based practice were affected more. And there's been more demand for digital to make up for that lack of interpersonal connection. Very interesting. So, so yeah, if you're counting on the physical networking and the, the, the Chamber of Commerce meetings and maybe the more traditional forms of acquiring clients and getting referrals, that's all evaporated, but the digital demand is still there. Well, I mean, look, it, it's not that, I mean, it may be just how people are getting their referrals, meaning you don't bump into somebody to ask them, hey, who do you use? You could do it through, through online, through like a Facebook group or something, but the interpersonal piece that gets the person the, the referral to refer to you, that stopped. And so it's not that necessarily, I think the digital demand has increased, but that that pipeline is still there. People are, you know, still have their phones in front of them. They still have in front of their computers more than ever. So yeah. we've seen that pipeline continue, but we've really seen the area that is off most uh, has been the, the things that come via referral sources. And my, my speculation is those referral sources aren't making contact with people in order to send that uh, business through the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense if you just think about all the, 
the, the happenstance meetings and referrals and that kind of organic, uh, almost exactly. osmotic type of, of lead flow that you would see, that, that's just not happening. The probability of those conversations has dropped to something close to, to zero. So let's talk more about the digital world in a moment, Seth. But um, before we do that, can you just give us a bit of a background uh, on Blue Shark Digital, what Blue Shark does, and, and what, sure. what led you into this, this, this world of, of also running a, a digital marketing company? You know, so I, I launched this law firm with a buddy about 12 years ago. He was a hardcore trial lawyer, one of the best in D.C., and he loved it. And he wanted to spend his time in the courtroom. And I did. I love the business side of it. So we decided to divide and conquer in building Price Benowitz, where he would sort of be the chief legal officer and I would help build and scale. Um, built a website. It did well. This is when websites all did well. Built a website, added another lawyer, built another website, added another lawyer. And we peaked at around 40 lawyers um, and probably as many websites. Just geeked out on that, loved the intersection of B2C law and digital marketing. Um, way back in the day, I had been uh, a founding member, uh, staff member of uslaw.com, which was sort of a precursor to AVO and fine law, uh, trying to match consumers with legal information and directories and things like that. Um, so basically geeked out so much on the digital component that Bill Price Benowitz, um, at one point I, I sort of had an issue and you probably can relate to this. Good people are looking for opportunities and in-house it was very hard to give people that, that you would lose right. people every couple of years because as an in-house employee, you only wanted to pay so much. Um, but when I spun out Blue Shark out of the law firm, it was essentially in the basement of the law firm to start, it allowed me to keep and retain our best talents and then scale people under them. And that's been just a, it's almost like a, a collective. Price Benowitz benefits because we have this best in class SEO and digital marketing uh, know-how in-house and that we now have clients from around the country, over a hundred who have slotted in and that as they, you know, as they pay us, we're able to then basically keep the top-notch talent there, which then helps scale um, those best practices. And that's the hardest part. I mean, you, you get this, the scaling of professional services is not easy and the scaling of, the digital marketing services, it's just making sure that you have the knowledge up top and then management of people to implement those best practices. That's really what we've built over the last five years of Blue Shark. So when you start a conversation with a, uh, a lawyer or, or like a professional about what Blue Shark does, how, how do you explain what SEO, what digital marketing is and what it might be able to do for their, their business? Well, you know, I always talk, we just talk about referrals and non-referrals. And when somebody says, do I, you know, very often the conversation starts with a website, I need a website. You hear about that. And to me, the website's a giving, you know, it's your business card. Um, and I, what I tell people is anybody can design your website. That's not particularly difficult. WordPress is pretty advanced now. You do it yourself. You could get a Wix site if you really wanted to. And if somebody knows who you are and they go there, you just need a site that is sophisticated enough to convert somebody who knows who you are with a phone number and not so bad that like they're gonna say, hey, I can't trust this person. So that's step, you know, that's step one. But what I talk about um, search engine optimization and pay-per-click uh, as well, is that how do you get people to find you and eventually hire you who've never heard of you before? 
And to me, that is what I love about it is that through demonstrating to the Google algorithm that you are authoritative for what they are looking for, you're able to get yourself placed in such a way that when they get to the website, even though they don't, you know, they may not have heard of you five minutes before, you're able to create that mini relationship, which then turns into a call, God willing, which then turns into a client. So we could have an entire episode just talking about the intake piece. That is so important. And I know you've made strategic acquisitions in, you know, softwares to help people document, track, and monitor that intake. It's so important because everything that Blue Shark does, you know, doesn't really matter if they don't become a client in Clio, right? If you don't land the client, then it's, you're not doing this for your health. You're doing it to make money. And so what, you know, everything that we focus on is getting the phone to ring, making sure that you have a process, both technology wise and human resource wise to allow for that person to be converted. Great. But the search engine optimization, the digital marketing piece is how can I get more people to find me clicks to calls to clients, you know, to revenue. That's, that's really the game that we play and that, you know, we've worked on fundamentals. You've known me for a long time. And the truth is in the time you've known me, the basics are pretty much the same. There are no secrets. It's high quality content. It's authoritative links coming in, backlinks from organizations, almost like a vote of confidence. It's a well-coded site using the tools that Google gives us with schema and organizing the site in a way that both the user can get themselves through as well as the Google bot. And now in, in recent times, it's been local, the all important three pack and optimizing Google My Business so that the organic plus local can put you in the, that sort of middle part of the page, which has been really you know, advantageous real estate. That's the game we, pay, we play organically. And then from a paid component, when you need sort of a spigot to turn off and on, being able to work with uh, pay-per-click in order to be able to buy enough media to turn clicks where here it's easier because you know you're getting the click and we pay for the clicks, but very expensive and basically getting a balance of organic and paid to allow people to get the volume of calls necessary to run their firm. Seth, you, you, in that, that answer, which you talked about a, a lot of aspects of what a, a effective digital presence looks like, you talked about the, the three pack in, in, in Google for, for listeners that might not be familiar with that. What, what do you mean by that and why is it so important? Well, basically when you look at a search page on Google, and again, more and more you should be looking at it on your mobile because that's where everybody is right now. But you have ads at the top and then Google generally has a map with three locations right in the middle. And for the moment, unless they put a paid, paid ad in there to add a fourth, it's been free territory. Free meaning it's a lot of time and effort to get into it. But that middle spot where you can see the number of reviews somebody has, and as you get into it, there's more and more that Google has in the Google My Business section. The organic of the listings below it. But coming back to the local component, really important right now because Google is trying to keep people in their universe as long as possible. You know, you can now, you know, book a restaurant reservation, a flight or a hotel, all from within the Google My Business interface. That's where you aren't on the company's website, but you're within the Google environment. They have pictures, they have reviews. The company can, or the law firm can put posts that disappear every seven days. There's descriptions, videos. They have essentially allowed you to have 
a Google website, for lack of a better term, that is incredibly important because that area is highly visible. The reviews are an amazing conversion factor and that we put a lot of effort into making sure that our clients have the best shot of showing up because when you show up there, it is infinitely better than not. And so it is not an easy process and it's not a finite process and it scrambles every once in a while. It's incredibly frustrating, but when done right and you are thought of and seen by Google as authoritative and you're in that middle sweet spot that it really is something to behold. And when something isn't there, you can see a difference from when it is. And it's the frustrating part when I talk to people is, you know, paid media is great. Pay-per-click. Google AdWords, you pay X amount of money, you get X number of clicks and you can see immediately results. When you talk about organic, it's a long-term play. You know, it can be anywhere from six to nine months, could be a little bit more for a brand new website. It could be a little bit less for an established website that you're just adding some best practices to, but that you're building an asset. And it's, it's a black box to a lot of people. And that's a really scary thing. There's a lot of bad actors that come into the space and sort of promise things. And I always say to people, you know, look, are, you know, the things we talked about just a moment ago is, are, is somebody building content for you? Are you working on building out authoritative content that is, you know, that answers people's questions? Are you getting authoritative links coming back to your site as a vote of confidence to push the site up? If somebody is taking your money and they're not doing those things, they're not doing SEO. So it's a, it, it's, it, it's frustrating. And I think it's almost like anything like buying Clio, like buying malpractice insurance. You have to become a mini expert in whatever it is that you're doing in order to be able to ask the right questions to figure out if it's right for you. For example, I'll tell people in the B2B space, don't go spending lots of money on SEO. It generally is not the right answer in the sense that if you're doing, you know, outside general counsel work, you're going to get your money through relationships. You know, go go join join you know BNI. Go join the chamber. Go go buy season tickets to the local team. The last place you really want to put your money is into SEO. But when you're dealing with the B two C space, injury law, criminal, immigration, trust in the states, family, bankruptcy, those areas, consumers are coming right at you. Sometimes more. For instance, the criminal space, I see that as the most susceptible for digital marketing because. God forbid somebody in your world got a DUI. They probably don't want to go talking to your company's general counsel about who to go to. They want to do it themselves. Whereas in trusted estates, most people may go through a financial planner or ask friends. There's no rush. So generally, that space is much more referral-based. You're fighting for a much smaller piece of the traffic that could convert to a trust in a state's client. But that said, there's much less competition. So with each practice area, there are strengths and weaknesses. But at the end of the day, the idea is the beauty of the digital marketing is you can speak directly to the consumer without the intermediaries that are possibly there in other areas of law. Right. And as you, you pointed out, I, I think it's a, a super important point that SEO investment is not one that's going to turn around an instant return. You're, you're not going to see results necessarily in the next day or the next week. Those results take time to, to build. But the, the flip side of that is also that you see the dividends from that investment forever uh, without needing to pay anything incremental. So the minute you, you turn off your paid acquisition spend, results drop off a cliff, but 
SEO is, is a long-term investment, both in terms of getting that, that flywheel going, but once it starts going, it does last for a long time, if, if not forever. Right. Uh, talk a bit about that. Yeah, exactly. So you're building authority. It's almost like you're building an asset or you have a foundation and that at over time, the, the age of a domain is a huge ranking factor for Google. And so the longer you've been around, you know, when you first start out, Google generally puts you in the sandbox. That means they're not showing your search results high up until they know you're trustworthy. And over time, you have the opportunity to get in there, but that as this, the site is up there and as you demonstrate there's fresh content being shown, links are being added, those trust symbols continue to push you up and that has been, you know, the formula we've used, but exactly right. It doesn't happen immediately and it gets better over time as you continue to do these things and fight for it because there are always other people coming into the market, sort of, you know, sort of young upstarts saying, hey, we want to be that guy. And so it is a bit of a game that I, I really enjoy, but that it's the process of first getting yourself in play and then demonstrating that you are the best answer. Because what Google is trying to do, besides make money, is give people the best possible answer to the question being asked. And if they get, if they can find that, they feel like people will stay with Google and continue to click on things you know, a lot of the time, but they're giving you the opportunity to find through organic search results that are meaningful. And so that if you can demonstrate through all the things that you have through building out content, not one page of content, but a library of content on the topic you want to be found for, Google's going to say, hey, this person's authoritative from the written point of view, from the words point of view. Now they're saying, hey, how do we know? A bunch of these guys have the same content. How do we know which is better? Well, this guy's been quoted on CNN.com and this guy has, you know, uh, has, a, uh, has a blog post on a very influential uh, forum. As these things get read by Google, and again, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a process, but I'll say this, the problem with paid ads, while you know they turn on quickly, and as you mentioned, they're ephemeral, they disappear. The problem with paid ads is that it's an auction, which can go artificially high, and the ROI that's potential from it isn't necessarily all that great. Getting a three to one right. ROI from paid search is not a given, which is insane. Um, in the legal space, meaning like that's the number where like, okay, three to one, I can breathe, I can grow a business. And so the reason I have pushed towards organic and it will hold on for as long as it's not completely turned off by Google is that the ROI that you can see over time, again, it won't be in the first six months, you're sucking wind. But once you get, once you get that placement and visibility, the clicks are essentially not costing per click. And you can end up with that five, six, seven, eight to one ROI on what you're spending, which just isn't really possible on paid. Let's talk for a moment about ROI when you're thinking about paid advertising as well, Seth. And I, I think it's a super important concept, but one that is is maybe not easily grasped in the realm of legal services where you're not, you're not selling a widget for X dollars and thinking about your customer acquisition cost against that that kind of concrete revenue from the widget you're selling. You're selling services and, and you're selling maybe repeat services over time and the even expected value of a client can sometimes be a, a tough thing to put your finger on. How, how do you think about ROI in the realm of digital marketing and legal? Well, I, there are two, I'll give you two ways. You know, in one sense, and paid search is probably the best, 
you can get a finite number pretty quickly using some very general software like a call rail. You can tell what calls are coming from your paid ad. You can use a tracking number on it. So anybody who clicks immediately comes through your website can be shown a number. It is not that hard to demonstrate within reason the ROI from your paid advertising. That said, not everything is a straight line, so it depends on the area of law. For things like criminal, it's probably easier because somebody has X period of time to find a lawyer. So they may call you know, at night, they may speak to somebody the next day, and then you know, they go through a process and you can really quickly tell, assuming that they reached out from that first paid click, it's pretty easy to track the progress. The downside is it's not always great. But the good news is it's not perfectly trackable, meaning you actually probably have slightly better return on investment than you think because, and look, right. Clio is probably a great example. Not many people pick up the phone, call Clio, say, I need software, and by the end of the day, they have a deal. It happens, I'm sure, but it is much more like booking a family cruise. Somebody says, oh, we need it. We need to go somewhere. I need new software. Oh, let me go and see. Here's an article on the four best uh, you know, cloud-based software is great. Do I want cloud-based software? Yeah, I want cloud-based. And there's a whole back and forth so that there may be 10 or more touch points before somebody actually does a sale. I see that less in legal, but it's getting more and more in that direction. And that areas like family law, where somebody may think about the action they're taking well before they actually have a monetizable transaction with the lawyer, that it, there is that piece. So that Depending on the area of law, you can, you can track, it's not perfect, but I think it's really important to you know, make sure that you don't, you, know, you wanna make sure that you see what's coming in. And the most frustrating thing as a digital marketer, let me put on that hat for a second. And it goes back to what we talked about before. It's one thing to make the phone ring, whether it be paid or organic, but the, the most important piece is making sure that you have something like a Clio Grow to be able to track that and find out, is there any hole in your intake? Because you know, right. using that software, you can figure out what you're, you can, you can have a double check on your marketing company to try to figure out ROI. And then secondly, it gives you that sort of ability to see internally, it's human resources. We just talked about before, the emotional roller coaster people are going from. They're working from home, kids are in the background. Are you, do you have a hole in your system where all that hard work and money to get the phone to ring, is it being monetized and turning into paying clients? Or is there some problem in the intermediary between the phone ringing and actually signing the client? I, I think that's a really important observation. And our legal trends report last year uh, highlighted just how poor law firms are on average on that follow-up piece. Once you've gone to you know, this Herculean effort of getting somebody to pick up the phone and or send you an email uh, and make an inquiry, tell you they want to learn more about your firm and how you could help them with their legal problem. Uh, our data showed just abysmal response rates, uh, emails that went unanswered, phone calls that didn't get picked up, voicemails that weren't returned, uh, long or non-existent uh, um, replies to, to inbound emails, even though these were what, what looked like perfectly suitable, qualifiable leads coming into the, the law firm. So talk about that aspect of the business a little bit, because it, it feels like to the legal industry as a whole, uh, the, the 
awareness around just how competitive things have gotten in the consumer space for how responsive you need to be and what consumer expectations are uh, is not something that's front of mind as maybe it should be for a lot of lawyers. Talk about your experience in that and how you help law firms think about once the lead lands in their inbox, so to speak, how do you respond to it effectively? Well, I'm pretty passionate about it. My firm started off with me and my partner. He's the great litigator. I was the sort of marketing business mind. And it started with me and a cell phone. So it was the bat phone. Wherever I went, it went. Phone call came in. It was me. Passed to him. Over time, we've added people to do that instead of me and a cell phone. It's now a 12-person team. Um, but I think it's a mindset to a certain extent. And we talked before, you know, we talked before about referral-based practices or referrals that come in versus marketing. I, I talk to people because very often somebody will come to Blue Shark and say, hey, I've always had a referral practice, but I got a kid in the practice now and I want to build this out for the future. I'm like, great. But it is a mindset shift. So my dad, who's Yale class, Yale law class of 59, is um, senior counsel to us. He has his own practice in New York and senior counsel to my DC firm. And he's in a, a New York firm and we had a criminal case in New York. And so I sent it to him, uh, uh, sent him a case, a lead at four o'clock on a Friday. And he calls me back on Monday morning around 10 and say, oh, they found somebody else. I'm like, of course they found somebody else. Like that, that, that's like, you know, our DNA is how many seconds, how many minutes before we get back to somebody if we don't get right. a live answer right there. Um, those those are really the stakes. It's seconds and minutes. Right. Again, it depends on your area of practice. Um, And if it's a referral, because if it's a referral, his practice, he's not stupid. He's been practicing since 1959. People wait for him to call back because they know he's really effing good at what he does. That said, um, you know, when we talked about before, the idea that somebody's never heard of you before, they have nothing vested, maybe some reviews, maybe they like your website, maybe it's a pretty picture, but that's all you got. So that if you don't connect with them right there and somehow make that relationship start, they're on to the next person. And so that is, I think, a real thought question um, that when you are thinking about is digital marketing right for you, you, it's not just spending the money and possibly waiting for organic to kick in, which is a painful process, but when it does come or if you do paid and it comes right away, and I almost tell people, test it out with paid. Are you going to do it? Because if the answer is you're not changing your ways and you know you shut the phones off at five o'clock and they're not being answered till Monday morning, you know, it, it is a mindset shift. And if you're not set up for it in a perfect world, the person who's your receptionist is not also your intake person. But the, what I call intake, some people call sales, whatever you want to call it, there's got to be somebody where that is their dedicated job and that it's, this is not in lieu of an attorney. There are different strategies. Some people are not attorney salespeople. Some people go straight to the attorney. Whatever you choose, I'm agnostic to it. But there's got to be somebody who answers the phone and lets somebody know we can solve your problem. And that is the key. And so that is sort of, I think, one of those you know, pull and tugs that a lot of firms um, that, you know, that have, which is they want something. Yes, they want to expand their pie, but it's a different game. It's not the same game as the referral game. And so ironically right now with referrals down, we are getting calls from many people, but I'll have the frank discussion because at some point referrals are coming back and will, are you willing to have a bifurcated world where you have your people that are referrals? Great. They're going to wait for you. But if you try to play that weight game with people in the, in the digital marketing space, it's just not going to work. And then you spent all this money 
and you don't have ROI for it. I mean, you can't get any return. So like, I, I really, I always caution people, you know, be careful what you ask for. Cause if you get it, you better pivot how you're running your operations. And even though you've run it one way for 20 years, it's not going to work in the digital world. And it sounds like if you make this investment and you execute on it well, you, you can actually build a, a client acquisition engine that is additive to your referral-based engine. These are not mutually exclusive to, to one another. You can run a referral-based practice that also has a, a digital acquisition component, but understand that the investments you need to make for that part of your practice are going to be different in nature from the investments you need to make in the referral business. And they need to be sustained investments, I think is, is one of the important points you're, you're making as well. You need to look to this as an investment you make, not just during a, a downturn in business during COVID, for example, but as something that will sustain your practice in the long term and requires a sustained investment. No, I, I think like, and just the, the acquisition of Michael's Lexicata into Clio Grow, to me, that was you guys making a statement, which is it's one thing to manage cases, but if the intake is ignored, you have real problems. And again, Absolutely. There, I, I know plenty of people that run a firm on, on, on Clio without intake, and those are great referral practices and they have good ROI and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be playing the marketing game, knowing where the leads are coming from, you know, tracking them, all that stuff, making sure that there is systems in place, uh, I think is, it's equally important to whatever you decide to do on marketing. And if you're not willing to do both, don't do either. So Seth, when you look at the impact that, that COVID-19's had on the legal industry, and, and, and you think about, we, we've talked about this uh, briefly over the course of our conversation, the, the perhaps negative impacts that COVID has had on, on referral-based uh, practices, uh, the shift of m more consumer behavior online, which was an ongoing trend pre-COVID that has maybe been accelerated to, to some degree. How, how do you see the, the COVID crisis maybe accelerating some of the changes that you saw that were, were underway already in terms of how the average law firm was finding clients and maybe more importantly, how the average client was finding a law firm. And, and how do you think that should be factored into law firm strategies today? You know, a lot, lot packed into that question. Um, I would say the first thing is we are seeing more and more of a push towards mobile. So that the yep. first thing I think that people have to do is stop just looking at their website on desktop, but also looking at mobile and understanding that that is, you know, more important at this point than desktop. Um, second, you know, we are, you know, uh, my firm is a generation where we were sort of a hybrid. We have nice downtown offices, but a lot of clients would sign up without coming into the office, given the difficulty of commuting in D.C., and I think this is going to push people that has to, to leveraging phone and ideally video in order to create those relationships, just like intake. I think the lawyers need to get comfortable with the ability to sign people up and never actually come in contact with them. Clearly they can't right now or shouldn't in many cases, um, but that it is a shift in basically mindset and sort of the process through through the firm. And I think to a certain extent, the genie is out of the bottle. There are going to be some changes when and if, God willing, we go back to in-person meetings post-vaccine where, you know, yes, we can do it, 
but there's going to be the ability. It's now going to be before it was phone or in person. I have a feeling that as people become super comfortable with Zoom, that that is going to be much more the norm. You've seen it in business. Phone yep. calls have transitioned to Zooms, good and bad. Sometimes they take longer, uh, but there's definitely an ability to get to know somebody in a much higher level than there was before. Um, and I've seen that at Blue Shark consultations. People are making multi-thousand dollar investments and that the ability to share a screen and do all of these things, we're getting to the point where it's pretty much surpassing the positives of in-person. Again, love in-person. I'm still old school and love it, but that we're seeing things pushed. I, I'm curious to see what happens with commercial real estate and needs. Um, you know, you're sitting there, I'm sure, with, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of square foot of space. And you're sitting there thinking, do I need that? Is the hotel model that some people have where employees right. come in X days a week. I still love it. There's a serendipity and everybody who's tried to push out of in-person officing seems to have gone back. Big banks in New York, uh, Yahoo, others all pushed and came back. We've seen Twitter and Facebook say, hey, we're going you know, all virtual all the time. You know, there's a certain amount of interpersonal contact, that serendipity, the, the collaborative work. And maybe I'm just older and that the next generation will be able to do this all digitally. But I feel like there's definitely um, benefits to the in-person. But I feel like companies may, may require less square footage going forward in law firms. You know, what does need to be done in person? And for us in the DC market, as I'm sure, you know, there are people as housing prices go up, people are commuting further and further. The benefit of this time has been, you know, people have an extra two hours a day. That's a lot of time. Now, it, balance that with kids screaming in the background and jackhammering of, uh, you know, that's going, going off with the neighbor's construction. But it, that of all the negatives, I say that would be one of the positives that the good, what we have seen, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, is the rock stars are crushing it at home. And the sort of deadbeats who are getting by, the C, the C plus players, they may have fallen to C's. Like if you have the ability to skate, this has been a great environment for it. But what we've really seen is that the a lack of that commute has given us a little bit of flexibility that I can't say it's balanced out all of the emotional turmoil of both uh, the protests and COVID, but it certainly helped. Yeah, fully agree. Um, it, it feels like an, another aspect of frustration that lawyers run into when they start trying to evaluate building out a, a digital presence um, is, is that there are a lot of snake oil salesmen in the SEO space. And, and I, I think what I'd love to hear from you, Seth, is, is how do you tell the people that, that know their stuff and, and there is enormous value to be delivered if you know the, the ropes, apart from the people that can just talk a good game and, and as you alluded to earlier, maybe happily take your your money, but not actually generate any results and not generate any, any long-term impacts for your business? Um, you know, great question. Cause it was what I faced before I started. I just had a law firm and people were like, Hey, how are you to differentiate yourself? So for myself, a mentor gave it to me, you know, basically I grew from two to 40 lawyers using this digital marketing team. Let me do it for you. That was sort of my way in. I think it is a savvy consumer. 
You need to do your research. And again, I'll say it just like buying uh, client you know, management software, it's you need to understand the market, know what things do and don't do, be able to get beyond hype, check with friends in the industry. If you don't have those you know, that are using it, but post them on listservs and, and Google and Facebook groups, find out and crowdsource what's working for people. And I think you need to also know what you need and how you operate. So to, at the end of the day, you need to make sure you're not going to a bad actor. And that is, that's paramount. Um, but I, I feel like at this point, there is enough data out there that for the most part, you know, you can do your research and figure out what's real and what's not real versus having to rely upon a pitch. Because look, I gave that pitch pretty succinctly. It wouldn't take a lot for somebody else to repeat those words in their own manner and basically be able to say, this is what we're doing. But the real question is, when you look under the hood, what is there? You know, is there regular contact with the company? Are you going to get monthly reports on what's being done? Can you see that that value is being added? It's not easy, but just like a client with a lawyer where they're trusting a billable hour, do you understand the value? And for me, any client that engages becomes our partner. They don't think of us as a vendor, but they actually are partaking. We are writing a page of content per day for per client. We interview the clients in order to extract from their noggin the stuff that we can't even get outside writers to do. If you see people who are blocking and tackling and simulating what you would do, knowing what you know are best practices, great. I think the trap people fall into is, you say, what does it cost? And they just say, hey, well, I can afford this number. I'm going to grab this product. And that is where it's the middle tier. And I'll going to sort of sidetrack for a second. But what I have seen, and the problem with SEO is done right, it's expensive. There's no way around it. You can't outsource content to India. It doesn't work. And so if you want things done right, there's a price point. And I get very nervous when price points go, and I'll be very blunt, I talk to people and say, if you're not grossing $350,000 a year, it may not be right for you. That it's, you know, that there's a critical mass that you need in order to put three grand in a month um, in the non-PI space in order to see results. There are things you can do before you get to $350,000. You can do websites, you can do things, but you probably don't have the resources to do hardcore SEO. And so I talk to people about where they are in that cycle, what they can and can't do, what they may be able to do themselves if they love to write or they love you know, going out there and doing the equivalent of PR, getting links back. There are things you yeah. can do that, are, that you can do yourself, but figuring out where you are with your firm and is it right for you? So website, great. We created, for example, at Blue Shark, a 975 Silver Shark product, which allows us to get to a lot of people that can't afford real SEO, but it's a WordPress platform that people own. It allows you to add whatever content you want. It allows you to have a platform that you build on that's structured correctly. So the big thing is we talked about technical. If a site is structured correctly and you add content to it, it's going to do infinitely better than if it's something that's not structured well. So for me, what I love to say is, hey, if you're going to do it, don't buy the dream. Understand what you're getting. So either, I don't say go big or go home, but get a great website that you can build off of, great, or do it right. But I think that people get stuck in the middle. And I know that a lot of Clio users, especially the small, smaller firms, get stuck with, 
hey, who are the people advertising at that 2K price point? And it's something I've struggled with because I haven't seen a great solution for it where you don't want to buy expensive hosting for $2,000, but are you getting anything that's going to move the needle enough to get the ROI to justify $24,000 a year? You made an important point as well that this idea of becoming a, a mini expert in the field is, is kind of a no regrets investment regardless because it'll let you size up uh, the the eventual consultant or agency you might work with to to help with your your SEO and digital marketing overall, but on the trajectory there you can start experimenting with your the stuff yourself, uh, maybe before you've grown to that that scale as you mentioned that you can invest in these things in the way that they really need to be if you're going to work with an external partner. Right, and again, it's it's not a look. I geek out on this stuff. Anybody listening knows me. You can find me on Facebook. I'm Seth at Blue Shark Digital. I'll talk to anybody, regardless if it's a potential client, if I can push them in the right direction. Because the key is making sure you save your resources and use them wisely, not do something because you think you should. As I said, I get calls all the time from people in the B2B space. I'm like, save your money. Again, pre-COVID, buy season tickets. Not great advice today, but you might get a cardboard yeah. cutout. But like, if you, if you went once a week to a football game and brought somebody who could give you business, that's three hours. And your job for the week before and the month before is to find the right guy to sit in that box. And it, you know, it's those, those pieces. So I feel like if you figure out what makes it tick, what your resources are. And I, again, I think the, the most important thing is not getting trapped in the middle where you're spinning wheels. And again, there, it's not that it's necessarily bad long-term, but you're going to suck wind assuming they're doing something. But I always feel like you either want to put enough to be able to be in play for real, or you should pull back and, you know, you basically have something more modest and use the resources for other things that might work. Seth, this has been an amazing conversation. We've, uh, the, the time has flown by. So let, let me try to squeeze one final question in before our, our time's up. And we'll, we'll definitely do a part two. There, there's so much more I'd love to chat with you about. But you've, you've grown Price Benowitz from a, a two-lawyer firm that you, you co-founded with your, 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 your colleague less than a decade ago to now a, a firm with more than 40 lawyers. Uh, all of that in, in less than a decade, which is a, a pretty amazing accomplishment. What are some of the, the takeaways from, from your success in growing the firm in that way? Uh, you, you've, you've certainly touched on aspects of it over the course of our conversation, but maybe more on the business and the scaling side of things. What are some of your hard-earned lessons from that, that decade of growth? Sure. I would say first, obviously, you need to get clients in, right? If you have clients in, you can attract talent. Yeah. Raising the talent. When you first start, you can't always pick up the phone just as you know. When you started, you couldn't get the talent you can get now when you have a brand and a name. Right. Um, and that know that you may need to upgrade later when you start. You get the best you can. You, just like in employees, very often when you st start something, the first person may not be able to do it. The second, by the time you get to the third person, that's not necessarily lawyers, but get the best you can. And something we've done is make sure that you're sharing with them. The idea that I find um, that you're, again, you can share, you know, you can have a percentage deal for lawyers. I'm a big fan of that because my, I think the biggest regret that you have is you hire somebody cheap out of law school, you give them a raise, you give them a second raise, and all of a sudden you may think they're worth, you know, let's say you hired them for 60 and 65, 70, you may think they're worth 70, but the market says they're worth 90 to 100. And you're like, like I've only been here a year. So what I have found is that if you're able to tie compensation to revenue 
to me, long-term, that's the ideal in the sense that you're both rowing in the same direction. And that's why we don't lose many lawyers over the course of the last 12 years. I could probably count on a hand the number of people that I didn't want to lose that we lost. Um, and that I feel that part of the reason for that and that money is not everything. You need culture, you need a lot of things, but that if you can make sure that people are sharing along the way, both revenue-wise as well as every piece of this. We talk about intake. Well, if the lawyer is hungry to get the case versus, hey, I'm going to have to do more work to make the same money, I find that that has been a really great partnership. I, I, I spoke about this with, uh, you know, in a couple of forums where I wish that everybody was a partner. I hate the term associate because I feel like it basically puts a hand tied behind their back when they're trying to sell. To me, somebody's on the phone. I want that person to be, I don't want any obstacle. And so the person speaking, oh, that's just an associate there. I, I really would like everybody bought in and that the, that we are basically all building this together rather than saying, hey, I'm building this for you. Love it. Well, so many great insights, Seth. Thanks for joining us today. I look forward to chatting with you again and uh, continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Be safe and uh, great to see you. You too. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast.